What's up, my dudes? I am here with episode 78 of the Opinion Overload podcast. Sorry, I, I didn't release something on Tuesday because I caught a flu uh, when I was out helping family with something. And, you know, I just I didn't have the energy to get it out. So today I'm going to be pushing the first se- episode of the Dogs of War series to Friday today. I'm recording it Thursday, the day before. Now, uh, another thing that happened was that I pushed the... I didn't push. I swapped the hosting service that we were using from Pippa to Libsyn. And surprisingly, uh, I had the idea that our stats were off from Pippa because it would be like, oh, you got 15 downloads today. You got whatever... You know, it didn't seem right, especially when I got an email from a podcast analytics service that said, hey, you've broken the top 100 in Estonia. And, excuse me, even though I'm pretty sure the Estonian podcast market isn't huge, uh, no matter what the population of a country is, I would think that you have to have some pretty solid downloads to get into uh, any top 100 in any category in any podcast and looking at the download statistics from yesterday and today on Libsyn it says I had 78 yesterday and 42 today so I may have totally been underestimating the whole growth of the show this entire time because we had poor stats now if I didn't realize that which it looks like I I was missing that thank you guys for growing the show I realize now that I may have been fucking up and I was using a wrong service but you know that's that's whatever. So here's the deal. This series is going to be about the uh, Mongol general Subadai. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Mongols were a, a hierarchy-based... Well, everything is a hierarchy, dumbass. They were based around um, an emperor, Genghis Khan. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of context of who Genghis Khan was and what the Mongol Empire was. Um... Let me just look it up here. There was almost a... uh, It was a cult of personality, in a sense, that he was the basically supreme leader. Um, So something that I noticed here when I was doing research was there... We call him Genghis Khan today, but... His actual name was Chinggis Khan, and to pronounce it properly, it would have been Temujin. So that's going to be a name that's going to be popping up here uh, in this series. So how I'm going to set this up? Jesus Christ, I don't want any more fucking pop-ups. How I'm going to set this up is the first episode is going to do his early life, Subadai's early life, and then his an overview of his tactics as a general and some of his military strategies, and I may cover one of his campaigns, one of his more famous uh, military campaigns. And the others will be his life as an adult, his legacy, all that stuff. Now, uh, just a brief thing of the Mongol Empire here. I'm just going to tell you when it was around and how far its reach was. It was founded in 1206, and it was dissolved in 1368. It was not along around for a very long time, but its reach was massive. It covered essentially all of Russia. And they had influence uh, 
across the Silk Road. They were the main security force for the Silk Road. And they had been so powerful at the time that other empires were subcontracting them to be essentially mercenary forces. Now, here's the thing. I'm looking at this map right here. In 1245, that their empire expands from the tip of eastern Russia all the way into like the middle of Europe. Now, that's not all under the control of one person. Um, the Mongol Empire was notoriously known for being under different khans. Like, here, I have a map right here. Uh, the Khanate of the Golden Horde, the Ilkhanate, the Khanate of the Great Khan, that was Genghis Khan's area, uh, the Chaganai, Chagatai Khanate. So all these areas were under the control of different khans, and that that shows up later. I'm going to do, when I was researching this, I found a book called The Secret History of the Mongols, which was a history book written by the Mongols when the Mongol Empire existed, is a way to basically uh, summarize and have a history book for their culture. It was written at the request of Genghis Khan, I believe. Now, let's get into Subodai. So, in his early life, he was born around 1175. Now, this is probably, this is speculative, but we think he was born west of the Upper Anon River in Mongolia, and he belonged to the Urian Kai clan. They were a Siberian culture that were a reindeer herding tribe. Um, if you didn't know this, there are a lot of native tribes in extremely far north regions that herd and basically shepherd uh, reindeer is their main source of food. Um, an interesting thing about the diets of those cultures, like the Inuits and Eskimos, they're the same thing, but in case you didn't know what Inuit was, they have almost zero vegetables in their diet. Their diet is meat and fats um, because no, no vegetables or plant life grows in the Arctic Circle. Now, they didn't live like the Mongols. The Mongols lived in plains, and the Uriankai clan lived in the forest. And as a result of that, Subutai wasn't a horseman like every other Mongol. It, it was really common in Mongol culture for children to be raised on horses and to be master horsemen, horsewomen, by the time they were 12. So that by the time you were able to be contributing into the family, you were capable of using the, t the main tool of the culture. And, oh Jesus, my throat is killing me right now. He was an outsider because of this. Subodai's family had been associated with the family of Temujin, Genghis Khan, for a considerable period of time. And uh, the great-great-grandfather was supplying food to the Temujin family, and basically they were in a debt to them. Um, his elder brother, Yelme, J-E-L-M-E, -E, was a general in the Mongol army and a close companion of his brother, of course. Yelme uh, was known for rescuing a severely wounded Genghis Khan, Interesting. It's almost like these people 
who are known for doing great things in history have a bunch of people behind them who don't get as much recognition, but are also incredibly talented. That's why these people who seem like they have beyond human abilities actually don't have them. They just have people who can help them and don't mind being relegated to the shadows. Ah, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. I, I kind of ran out of shit to say, but... People who are incredible often have incredible people behind them, and those people don't really care about getting the spotlight. Now, while they were this happened while they were unifying the Mongolian plateau. Uh, he had another brother, Shar Khan, also romanized as Karu Khan, and this guy was mentioned in the Secret History of the Mongols. Like I said, uh, he has a biography in what's called the History of Yuan. I'm going to look it up to see if I can find that book, but I didn't find it uh, when I was searching for books for this podcast. Most of what I'm doing is internet sources. Now, oh, excuse me. Um, if I can find it, I will. Like, I was looking for audiobooks, but I couldn't find any. I did just pick up the Norse Mythology book by Neil Gaiman. I haven't started listening to it, but I've heard it's really good. I'll keep you guys updated on that. Now, Subodai's father was a sheep herder, and... He was ordered to present them to the essentially landlord, Genghis Khan. He goes by the name Taizu in this this uh, history biography, and his father was captured by robbers. Subutai's brother Huluhun and Subutai got there in short time, and they fucked the robbers up. They beat their shit in with lances. Now, for those of you who don't know the lances. Uh, think of a really fucking long spear that is super heavy and can pierce plate armor. Most Mongols didn't wear armor, so they were obliterated. Uh, clearly, their souls were decimated, thrown into oblivion, never to return. I'm sorry for the sniffling. I scheduled an appointment with an ENT because I've been having a problem with my nose for a year and a half that it just will not fucking clear, and I don't think you realize how angry that makes me, because every time I try to breathe, especially when I'm doing something like jujitsu or exercising or training, whatever, I can only get like a half a breath in. So it's like I'm asthma, but like the free app version of asthma so that you don't really have it, but like you're kind of there so you get to feel how shitty it is. That's what I feel like. Also, I have, I think I have fucking tinnitus. Because my ears ring a lot, and they hurt from time to time. It may also just be that like there's a ton of fucking earwax in my ear from wearing earbuds all the time that I just haven't been able to get out, which I am moderately reasoning, like, it's pretty reasonable for me to bet that it's just the earwax from earbuds, but, you know, I'll get there later, whenever the fuck I feel like it. Probably next week, when I after the, the appointment, and I'll be like, yo, I have tinnitus, and I'm going to die of typhus, uh... They killed the the robbers, and then the rest of the uh, thieving band pulled up and were like, yo, they got fucked, let's leave. Uh, they saved their father, and the sheep were sent to the, to the overlord. Now, Subutai is kind of an outlier in the fact that the Mongol Empire wasn't and isn't really considered a meritocracy as far as people know. But even though he was a commoner, he rose to one of the highest ranks in Mongol society. 
uh, most, uh, what's the fucking word? Monarchical societies aren't meritocracies. But because he was so skilled at warfare, they were like, you know what? Let's give this dude a pass. He's, he's a fucking G. So son of a blacksmith, a lot of people are sons of a blacksmith at this time. It's a, a pretty common trait. And honestly, if you wanted to be anyone in history, you should be the son of a blacksmith because they seem to have a lot of, a lot of success in a, the commoner to nobility type thing. I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. Just don't ever be the son of a blacksmith. It's shitty. Some people who are blacksmiths will try to melt galvanized metal, and they don't realize that galvanization is uh, fucking deadly. So at 14, Subutai left his clan to catch all the Pokemon and joined Genghis Khan's army. Now, he was following the footsteps of his older brother, Helme, who had joined when he was 17, so this guy's getting ahead of the game, seven, he's four years ahead of the game, and he is going to beat the fuck out of his brother, I'm guessing right here, I don't know, oh Jesus, <coughs> he rose to the highest command position available to one who was not a blood relative to Genghis, within a decade he rose to become a general, now uh, I'm just going to look this up right here, how long does it take, it take to become a general in the U.S. Army. Let's just, let's just say, let's see how long it takes, on average. Uh, well, it's possible for a general to have around 20 years of service before being promoted. Most have at least 30 years of experience before reaching this milestone. So this guy was such a fucking beast that he made it in one-third the time. I don't know about you, but that's impressive. Now, we will also account for the fact that this is 1495, fucking whatever, 1245, and uh, military procedures were probably not nearly as strict, but considering this is one of the greatest militaries of all time, and, you know, this dude is a fucking blacksmith's son, it's pretty legit. Now, he was in command of one of four two-mens operating in the vanguard. A two-men is essentially... Oh, Jesus. <coughs> I'm sorry is 10,000 men. So he was essentially in command of a field army. And a vanguard is the tip of the spear. Now, that means what he was responsible for was fast attacks. Uh, he was often scouting and all that shit. That's usually what vanguards are for. I'm going to check this again because, bitch, I do not want the 401k plan. Motherfucker. God, if anyone wants to buy a 401k from Vanguard International, just type in Vanguard.com and they will give you a, I don't know, they're, oh, fuck, oh, that's a shit ton of assets. $5.1 trillion in assets? Jesus Christ. But yeah, he was at the front of the army. Uh, sometimes I confuse the Vanguard with the rear guard because someone told me that shit before and I get it confused, so I have to check it sometimes. Uh... And Subutai was partnered with the senior general Hebe, Jebe, fucking something, during the invasion of northern China in 1211. Uh, he was essentially an apprentice to Hebe. We're going to fucking say Hebe, I don't know. And they would be together until Hebe died in 1223. In 1212, he took Quan by storm. And that's the first major 
success that's mentioned in any of the sources. Uh, Genghis Khan is reported to have called him one of his dogs of war. Where I get the name of the series from? Fucking look at that shit. That's that's some synchronicity right there. That was essentially he had eight top lieutenants. The dogs of war were the top four. And there's a quote here. They are the four dogs of Temujin. They have four heads of brass, their jaws like scissors, their tongues like piercing awls. Their heads are iron, their whipping tails swords. In the day of battle, they devour enemy flesh. Behold, they are now unleashed, and they slobber at the mouth with glee. These four dogs are Hebe, Kublai, Helme, and Subutai. Now, Kublai, not Kublai Khan. Different dude. Just saying, so you should know. That's from the secret history of the Mongols. Now, Subutai, he was a pretty... Uh, I, the word is escaping me. He is a major outlier in the fact that he was identified as special very early on in his career as, as a general. And he gave him... Oh, Jesus. Hang on. I'm pausing at some water real quick. Okay, I'm back. I just got a cough drop in some water, so hopefully this isn't as, bad, as much of a problem. Uh, Genghis gave him a ton of special opportunities to grow as a leader. He appointed him to the prestigious post of Genghis Khan's door guard. Yeah, you would think, like, uh, hey, man, I'm a pretty fucking legit general, and uh, I have to guard your door? You fucking joking, right? Are you, uh, you're just joshing around, right? I, I get to go out there and prosecute some battles today, don't I? No, no, man. I, uh, I, I want you to guard my door. Because, uh, some people are trying to kill me. And I need some dude who's really about that life to guard my door. This was when he was a teenager, so it wasn't when he was like 40 fucking years old. Uh, Mongol histories say that Subodai said to Genghis, I will ward off your enemies as felt cloth protects one from the wind. One, it's a dumbass quote, because uh, felt cloth doesn't do shit against wind as far as I know. Felt is like a quarter inch thick. A good, strong breeze will get to you through felt cloth. This dude's like, hey, man, I'll protect you like canvas, like fire retardant canvas, like fire retardant chainsaw chap canvas. Fuck it, dude. Fire retardant chainsaw chap Kevlar, dude. You, you We're not fucking around. No one's going to get to you, my man. I would have I said that. I'm just saying I would have made up. I would have invented all this shit in 1245 just so I could say it. Don't worry about that. You know, I would have had access to all these materials if I lived in 1245, clearly, because I am a time traveler. Get some water there. Uh, basically, him being a door guard mean he got to listen in to a bunch of Mongol strategy meetings. Uh, he, he gathered a bunch of... It's like watching film as an athlete. Like, you're, like, sitting there in the corner, like, oh, shit, I see what he did there. He should have done this, though. And... That's how he built up his strategic repertoire. Uh, in his early 20s, he was brought as an apprentice on detached missions under Hebe, so it's bringing you back here. There's another general who's mentioned, Mukali, and Genghis Khan himself. 
So we're just going to point it out here that he was the direct apprentice to three of the most elite generals in the Mongol Empire. That's probably for easily 1211 or 1227 years. This guy has a doctorate in war. That's it. That's just what he has. So he got an independent command at 22. So no more apprentices, no more of that shit. This is like, hey, yo, you ready? You ready to bang? And this occurred during the war against the Merkit. Now, this was the most hated enemy of the Mongol Empire. I don't know shit about the Merkit, so let's let's figure it out, right? Uh, they are five. One of the five major tribal confederations of the twelfth century Mongolian plateau. They lived in the basins of the Selenga and Lower Orkhon River. So, what I can tell from this is that they were a Mongol tribe that weren't incorporated totally into the Mongol Empire. So it says here, there was a 20-year war, they were defeated in 1200, and then Genghis Khan incorporated them into the Mongol Empire. Uh, let's go back here, back to Subodai. And Subodai was the vanguard, and he was tasked to defeat one of the Merkit camps at Chen River. Now, Subodai was offered extra troops by Genghis Khan because Genghis assumed he might need them. And Subodai was like, nah, B, I'm trying to do this shit like a boss. Like, I'm a fucking pimp. I'm out here with these weak-ass troops. I got less resources than I need, and I'm going to prove myself as the best military general we have here. He went to the Merkit camp alone, posing as a deserter. He managed to convince all the Merkits that the main Mongol army was far as shit away, and they had no danger to them at all. As a result, the Merkit were like, Ayo, let's put all our spears down and shit. Uh, they're clearly not coming, and uh, let's reduce the patrols because we don't have any fucking problems coming. And uh, guess who got fucked? The Merkits, because they got encircled and fucked up by the Mongols. Surprise! This netted them two Merkit generals. Uh, anytime you lose a general, it's a pretty fucking strategic, big strategic blow. Uh, just in case you wanted to know, losing two generals is like getting cancer and then fucking typhoid fever. Maybe a dash of syphilis if you're really feeling lucky. Now, he was an unorthodox general. Uh, just to point that out, no general in the history of war that I know of except Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar also did this, would throw themselves in danger without protection to make a point. Just a quick side note, Julius Caesar was notorious for jumping out of his chariot into enemy lines. This guy would jump into the middle of like a hundred dudes with spears and shields ready to fucking kill him to force his soldiers to realign and make a better position so that they could kill the enemy more effectively. That's a good leader right there. Now, this guy was a resource light general. He was going to solve problems with the least amount of expenditure he needed to. 
he uh, he was a pretty pretty fascinating general in the fact that none of the strategies he used at the time were seen again until World War II. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. So, uh, this guy was around in 1245. We didn't use his strategies again until 1945, 700 years later. Just, you know, a mild, I don't know, how, uh, how innovative was he? Was he like the Steve Jobs of killing people? Like, what the fuck? So, he would run coordinated armies of 100,000 men across fronts separated by 500 to 1,000 kilometers. He would coordinate armies 500 miles apart with no radios, telefuck, any of that shit. He would coordinate armies. I don't think people understand. I don't think anyone can comprehend today with all the technology we have how hard it is to coordinate a military. The most, one of the biggest problems about any, faced by any general ever in the history of war is getting people where they need to be, when they need to be there with the right equipment. We struggle with that today. And this dude is doing it fucking 800 years ago with a horse and like some torches and shit. Just think of how, how brilliant that is. Now, he was so good at this that they defeated Poland and Hungary in separate battles two days apart. The main army of those countries, he fucked them up in two days. Now, he did this kind of, it's kind of sneaky the way he did it. His maneuvers were designed to provide an illusion so that the enemy may think they're going to be striking the body of a force at one point, but the main body of the force is actually in a different location that's easy for them to get behind and encircle the enemy. Now, it... Jesus, that's going to sound terrible. This is it's brought up here. The Mongol invasion of the Jin in 1232 continually pulled the successful Jin forces apart despite their advance. They had, they had the high ground. Anakin, they, I have the high ground. They couldn't determine which Mongol army was the faint and which one was the, the main threat until their army was so isolated and starved that strong positions were bypassed and no one gave a shit about anything until they could find food. And then they got fucked up and just they were totally eliminated. Uh, sieges, something very unusual for the Mongol army. They weren't a siege army. Uh, I talked about this during the Crusade series. A siege is a long and drawn-out process, usually months at a time. The Mongol army was all about speed and essentially 
being on your enemy before they could do anything about it. So for a general to use a siege in the Mongol army is a really interesting choice. Now, they weren't all the time. They would be limited to critical objectives, like if you had a fortress that you needed to capture, and realistically you weren't going to be able to bait the enemy out or do any of the usual Mongol tactics, they would lay siege to a, a fortress or fortification or whatever. But this was usually done with a blockading force, or they would simply ignore the location and just scorched earth the surrounding agriculture. So even if this, the fortress had, you know, like a month of food with it, they would take all the, the feeding supply lines that go into that fortress and destroy them. That way they could, on, they could leave a small force that's just there to make sure they're not getting any supply in and just wait them out. And they would push the main force forward. I've never heard of that strategy before, and I think it's brilliant. Because the way that the Crusades developed, and in my opinion, the way that the Crusades developed led to a huge loss of life, more than necessary, was that they were throwing tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people at a wall for days on end, months on end, until they got over. The Mongol way of doing it, where you just cut off all their supplies and push forward while leaving a small retainer behind, is a smart idea. And I get why this was a uh, such an effective strategy. Now, Subutai had a long career, and as a result, he got to face off against the most elite armies from east to west. He fucked everyone up. This is like the Mike Tyson of Mongol generals. He's the Mike Tyson of ancient history. There's another dude out there named Scipio. I don't think they're around at the same time. Scipio Africanus. Um, yeah, 236 BC is when he was born. That's a, well, that's a little ways away. He was one of... I'm going to talk about him much later. Like... All the topics I have now are pretty much dead locked in, but Scipio was a fucking animal. He was one of the few generals that was recognized for... I don't remember everything he did, but I know I think there was something he was compared to Hannibal. Or he might have beaten Hannibal before. He was, he was insane. It's in like the top ten generals, he consistently ranks in the top five. I know Subodai is in like the top... It depends on who you ask. He's he's in the top 10, but sometimes he's in the top 5, sometimes he's like 6 to 8. So he was known for incorporating the strategies of conquered peoples into his forces. Most commonly, it was engineers. And his main asset was intelligence gathering and planning of his campaigns. So he was one of the few generals in the Mongol Empire that used spies. Uh... Spoiler alert, spies are pretty important in warfare, and if you don't have spies, you're probably going to lose. So, he used spies to gather detailed information on the Russian principalities. For those of you who don't know what those are, because I don't know what those are, are the Poles and the Hungarians. And he did this about a year before he started his attacks. So, think about what you can do, information-wise, in a year. 
you can get a lot of critical information. And his European adversaries were shocked when they found out he knew basically everything about them. Um, he was very adept at tailoring his strategy to match his enemies. So the one thing that most generals weren't able to do at the time was tailor their tactics to terrain and weather. Now, here's how I'm going to make that point is the Greeks, when they had the, uh, the phalanx, the problem with that was that if you were going over a tilted area or an uneven surface, that rectangular formation isn't going to stay tight and it's not going to be as effective as you want it to be. But because in Greece, all the surrounding areas were reasonably flat and the battlegrounds were reasonably flat, they didn't really decide to change them. Now, a few people did. I think the Spartans had a whole different design on that. Um, they were reasonably reasonably strong with the... I forget what it's called. Something. But they had a main phalanx, but it was broken up into three sections, and I believe. And the sections were allowed to move independently of each other. Now... Sorry, this uh, cough drop is starting to get sharp. Now... Subutai had ordered huge bombardments or mass bombardments of the enemy. He was one of the few Mongol leaders to use artillery. Um, it's kind of interesting how he did it because he wasn't using artillery to damage fortifications, which is most of the time what artillery is used for. He was using it to target archers. Now... That's not unheard of, but it's not particularly common either, as far as I know. There was a... Fuck, I am losing my place in his notes. Um, Cordy uses siege weapons. Okay. So, basically, they had to c cross a bridge, and the Hungarians had guarded this bridge and made it a choke point. Suudai said, you thought, and he used his artillery to bombard the archers, and then they rushed the bridge with their light cavalry, which is effective because they're fast. Some casualties, yes, but less than if you hadn't used the artillery. artillery. Now, uh, he was excellent at maneuvering his enemy. Now, you would think, well, how does that shit work? You can maneuver your enemy by maneuvering your army itself. Because think about it like this. When you watch, like, a boxer, right? How many steps before the boxer delivers the punch is the boxer setting up the punch? So if anyone here watches Mayweather, right? You won't, I, I, I'm sure you don't see it. Because he's so good at it. Like when I'm training, when I'm training jujitsu and I'm watching a higher belt, like a much higher, like brown or black belt, set up a move, they're setting that move up before I can even perceive they're setting it up. So that's why these things worked, right? If I'm rolling with, say, 
you know, the main coach at my gym is Boogie, Boogie Man. I, I haven't rolled with him yet, but if I was, for example. And he wants to set up the Kimura on me. And I am inside control. Say I, I somehow have this man inside control. There's going to be a process that he's going to get to to put me in the Kimura that's not going to be direct. He may push me into the bottom of side control, reverse it, and get me for the Americana, and I may defend that. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he may. And then he uses that to chain it into something else. Like, that's, that's how this idea works. So if you were a general fighting Subodai and you had archers, and Subodai eliminates half those archers, well, you have to reinforce that, that flank, otherwise it's going to get overrun. So you split your force and you send half those archers over there. Well, that means that if he attacks the other side now, you might have to move them back or you have to fight with an exposed flank. And if you fight with that exposed flank, well, guess what's going to happen? It's going to get overrun. That's what I mean by he would maneuver his own enemy. So he was, he was an extremely effective general, not because he was good at maneuvering his own army, which, of course, every great general is, but because he was so good at using revolutionary tactics and working his enemy against themselves, and because of his extensive use of spy networks and all that. Now, there is, uh, I'm going to look it up, Battle of Mohai. Um, Mohi, Mohai, whatever. Siege of Moji. No, that's in Japan. That is the... Nope. Uh... The fuck? Hmm. Interesting. So, that's kind of the end of what I have for this episode today. But we're at 37 minutes. I want to I wanna get around to 40. At least, because these episodes recently have been really short, and I'm, I feel bad about that. Um... Oh, I just popped onto the, uh the Spotify downloads for the show to see. And it's not, uh, there's no downloads in there yet. Actually, shit, that reminds me. So I think Spotify is up with Libsyn, but because I transferred over and I was set up for Spotify with Pippa, for those of you who listen on Spotify, if you're not hearing this, you might not, but some of the, uh, some of the podcatchers I know, iTunes is ready, so anything that iTunes is hooked up to will definitely be updating it on the usual time, but Spotify might not be there yet. So just, if you share stuff to Spotify, just know that. So, this is kind of what I want to talk about right now, is I, I really want to give you guys like the best content I can possibly give you, and... I was thinking about it the other day because right now I'm trying to build up my uh, my Instagram so that I can monetize it because, you know, fucking money is hard. And it's kind of odd that, you know, after all this time, when I think about stuff like the podcast and I think about all kinds of stuff all day, like, you know... There are shows out there that I want to... Sam and I were talking about this. We can't collaborate with some people because we don't have the clout yet. Like, 
it was a few months ago when I was talking to uh, Bert Kreischer's agent because he, I've listened to his podcast for a long time. And he says on his show, if you email him, he'll host you on his show. Like he said that multiple times. He would love to have a show with his fans. And I emailed him. And I had a back and forth with his agent, but they're like, you don't have the numbers. And it's like, fuck. I want to collaborate with these people. If you can hear this cough drop, I'm so sorry. Um, there are so many people I want to collaborate with. Like, I'm thinking about stuff right now. Um, there's a couple San Diego podcasts I'm trying to get in contact with. Like, there's one... It's called the Higher Side Chats. It's very similar to Mysterious Universe. For those of you who listen to this podcast, also listen to Mysterious Universe. One of my favorite podcasts. Actually, the first one I ever listened to. Uh, it's a great show. It's about paranormal, all the paranormal stuff. But it's like, okay, do I just have to show up at these guys' fucking door to get a response? Because I will. I will Freedom of Information Act the fuck out of someone and show up at their house to collaborate with them. These people think I'm fucking around. I am not. I want this to be a success because this shit is important. People who don't understand, like, I didn't know who Subodai was until a couple months ago, and I am a fanatic for military history. Getting that drink right there. Gotta stay hydrated and stay in the game. So, for these people who... Like, everyone who listened to the show, I'm sure you listened to it because, one, you enjoy me and you enjoy Sam, which, another thing, I'm going to tell you guys about that after this. But the thing is, we bring to you information, some of it's shit, like, you know, we have a lot of speculative information when Sam and I go back and forth, but we bring you guys information that nobody fucking cares to educate people on. Like, the education system today is so oh, yeah, let's just go through the motions and, like, let's teach you fucking basic math. Let's get you to calculus if you're good. Let's teach you U.S. history. Like, there's so much stuff that people ignore and that people need to know, I think, that we're bringing out here that I want to have an audience. You know, if I could have an audience similar to, like, Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan, I would love to have that because that would mean I'm giving... I think Joe Rogan gets what, like 8 million? Let's say he gets a couple million downloads of podcast. That would mean there's 1 million more people in the United States who have that much more information to carry through life with them, right? And even on top of that, like, uh, I was talking to Sam recently, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna send him because we have the audio equipment to send down to Mexico to give him uh, a setup there. And I'm going to do, I'm going to check it out. But I think the best way to do it is just put a call recorder and just send him, you know, all the audio equipment he needs. So he, I can get him back on the show because I do feel like even though I carry the show by myself right now and all that kind of stuff... This show is missing something without Sam because, you know, even as, as intelligent, I know I'm smart, you know, I know all that shit, but I don't have someone to counterpoint me and Sam and I do that so well with each other that like that makes the conversation better. Right. So, you know, the, the, I feel like, I kind of feel like if the Libsyn shit is right, like 
if I actually got, let's say, for example, 78 downloads yesterday and 42 today, and that's just two days of stats, and I've been busting my ass for the past eight months, however, it's almost a year now that I've been hosting the show and Sam has been working with me, and we've been seeing fucking 15 downloads a day, zero downloads a day, 12 downloads a day. That, you know how much happier I would be to see fucking 100 downloads a day, fucking 50. I mean, all that shit adds up and it builds. And it's just crazy to me. Like, if I've been working with poor stats this whole time, I would be mad. I'd be really mad. And, you know, the thing is, like, if I could see, you know, I don't expect to have 10,000 downloads a day right now. I really don't. I just, would it be cool? Yeah, sure. I would love that. But do I need it right now? No. I mean, things take time. But was I happy to see after years of work with Pippa that, oh, this isn't, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Like, you know how demoralizing that shit is? And honestly, like, I hope these stats are right because if it's still there, you know, fucking that's way more than we've been doing. I mean, we were doing like 75 downloads a week. I got 78 downloads in a day. What the fuck, man? So this makes me like, it it excites me because that means to me that what I'm doing means something. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, I'm going to be real with you guys. Like I haven't gotten a shirt designed yet. I haven't gotten the logo redesigned yet because I felt like fuck this 15 people what the fuck are these 15 people gonna care about a t-shirt for you know and sure it's my fault i promised you guys that would be out soon i promised you guys all that shit a while ago but it just gets so you know it got the most it got the worst for me and you could see it in the podcasts like the pimpin ain't easy series that was a failure that it wasn't as good as i wanted it to be And after Sam left and I had that, that issue where I was like, fuck, I have to carry this on my own and I'm getting 15 listeners a fucking episode. That shit was demoralizing, just straight up. I'm not even gonna lie to you guys. And it made me not want to do certain shit for the podcast because it was like, yeah, I could sell t-shirts. I'll sell fucking three and uh, I'll make seven and a half dollars. That's my gross profits. And I didn't want to do that. And it was like, you know, there's a lot of stuff I want to do that now I feel like I'd be happy to do if, here's the deal. When I, I'm going to go get the final shit to finish the logo this week, and I, I I'm going to watch the stats, and if the stats prove to me that what I'm doing is is worthwhile right now, which they seem to be doing, I'll absolutely put out a shirt. Because if there's 78 people who want a shirt, if there's 50 people who want a shirt, cool. I would love to do that for you. And I would love, you know, I'm I'm working back... uh, a family member of mine knows someone who makes a bunch of stickers. They have a printing shop. They make stickers and all that shit. I would love to just mail people stickers if they asked for them. Right? And I feel like, I kind of feel like right now, especially just from seeing the two days of stats, like, 
I've been holding myself back and Sam and I have been held back by using a cheaper host. And the fact that, you know, I can see all kinds of cool shit on this stat and, you know, I'm kind of rambling on at this point, but I feel like it is. There's so much to the show that I want to bring you guys. Like, you know, I, I won't be able to bring a video till I set up a studio. It's just not happening because the current place I live is a fucking mess, right? There's three people living in a two-bedroom apartment. That's not going to happen. There's fucking shit everywhere. I'm not... I want to bring you guys professionality, and I want to bring you guys enjoyment, right? And on top of that, like, the thing that kind of killed me, and I wonder if what was happening is the the host we had or the way it was getting distributed meant that we weren't getting the optimal uh, exposure that we were supposed to be getting. I want to hear from you guys, right? Like, if you just sent me an email, right, I, I'm not asking you to do anything you don't want to. But if you wanted to hear something on the show, like, if you wanted, there's a book out there, I, I've mentioned it before, Helter Skelter, right? The Marilyn Manson murders. Or fucking, Jesus, it's not Marilyn Manson. It's Charles Manson. Okay, I need to work on that one. But the Charles Manson murders. That's some cool shit. I heard about it from another podcast. There's a concept that I'm thinking about right now. It's called an egregore, which is essentially the energy that people think, devote, and, you know, if you... Okay, here's how I'll put it. If... However many people in the world who have existed have been murdered. It's probably in the hundreds of millions. Potentially billions. I'm sure it's in the billions. The energy from that act has to go somewhere. There's potential that the energy from that act could have formed into a deity that is focused upon making murders happen and causing people to become murderers. Now, of course... That's a supernatural thing, and I am open to the supernatural because I've spent so much time listening to things like Mysterious Universe, but that concept fascinates me. Like, the idea of God, the Christian God, could be an egregore because we've spent so much time and energy praising and worshiping it that it became a real thing, even if it wasn't real in the beginning. Think about that. So if there's other people out there who listen to the show who are like, yo... I know about this. I've heard about it, but I don't know that much about it, and I would love to hear you talk about it. Send us that email, my man. Follow me on Instagram. I'll put the link in the description and at me in comments. Be like, yo, I want to hear you talk about this. And I'll do it. Like, that's the reason I made the format of the show informative and flexible. That way, if I do the informative stuff on schedule, I can. And that way, if I do the flexible stuff as I want to do it, or as you guys want it to be done, then it gets done. I'm going to close this podcast out right now. Uh, I will see you guys on Tuesday with part two of the Dogs of War series. And I hope, I hope that this reaches you all well. See you then.
black time got style African push, she got a brother named Charles If we on that bullshit, I protect my neck with some magical jewels It can't none of y'all take them from me, yeah, yeah And Cortez, cause I feel like Fabian My fit got a head like the dome of a stadium You think it's all good, but it's really get great again Bag it now, ladies in the clearly Canadian, yeah Don't turn away from me, look at my eye Brother got heart, but he running with psychos. He always got a gang with him, hella disciples. They always trying to fight, though, but I stay cool. I can't lose no argument. I got my jewels. I keep my head down, pushing like I'm walking to school. Yeah, I hold him tight like infinity gems. Police men looking at me like I'm finna be him. No, my daddy gives a hard man. My mother's a ghost. I keep my head covered up. My brother will roast. If y'all be fucking with my head with thoughts tougher than jokes. I ran hard. My footprints covered the coast and i'll be running through walls because i'm buffeting most of night crawler tried to creep but smell suckers approach he see i'm all charged to get what he provoked the homie time got power so i'm tugging his cloak yeah i'm big as hell can't fit in my fit my sleeves ripped i'm a king so my ring is legit i bring shit to your front door we can get bell my eyes glow in my hood like a demon from hell my old self locked away no key to the cell they shooting spells in my head it's up to me to repel yeah my big dumb brains and electrical ocean started walking out my legs in perpetual motion can't stop can't stop but i'm not just both and i had to because homes overcome by roaches yeah i got swole because i wanted revenge my brother charles got hurt when we was playing pretend started walking right then just me in the wind the asshole better hope i never see him again yeah i'm big as hell can't fit in my fit my sleeves fit i'm a king so my brain is legit i bring shit to your front door forget your bell my eyes glow in my hood like a demon from hell my old self locked away no key to the cell they shooting spells in my head it's up to me to repel yeah